Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, congratulations. You're about to arrive to the right place. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the Ellen and Aaron Sportsport Are you ready for it? Now, here is Ellen and Aaron. Good evening, everybody. It is Friday, April 30th, 2021. It is the NFL Draft Edition of the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show. I am one of your hosts, Aaron. Allen is here with me as well. Allen, good evening. How are you? Good evening. How are you doing so far tonight, Aaron? Doing, doing great uh, here this evening. I've been following the NFL Draft. This is always an exciting time of year. A lot of uh, speculation, a lot of... Uh, intrigue a lot of surprises obviously we won't know how these uh decisions will play out for several years but interesting to see some of the things that have happened how have you um how have you followed the uh, nfl draft these last uh two nights i have you know the thing is you're right you never know how someone's going to turn out first round pick you know usually there's a lot of pressure on them but i did i have there was uh, some picks that were pretty expected but there was some surprises there. I definitely did see that. Did you follow along? And if you did, what was the biggest surprise that you may have come across? Uh, well, I mean, really no surprise with the first two picks. Um, there was no question that the Jets and the Jags were going to go with uh, with quarterbacks. And, of course, we've known for six or eight months that Jacksonville was, you know, if they had the first pick, they were going to take uh, Trevor Lawrence. And great quarterback. I think this guy is going to be the next – superstar um he's already got endorsement deals he's already big in the community great for him and i think urban meyer is going to do a great job with him i think they need to give him a little bit of time this is kind of like the indianapolis colts in 1998 all over again you've got to let things kind of work themselves out he's probably going to struggle early on you got to get a feel for the nfl neither of us are shocked that the jets took a quarterback obviously they traded sam darnold a couple weeks back and obviously had the big opening there no shock that the 49ers took a quarterback, too, but it wasn't maybe who everybody thought they were going to go with. Um, honestly, I think that the uh, the pick that everybody thought they were going to go with was Justin Fields out of Ohio State. There was also Mac Jones. His name had come in there a little bit from Alabama, and they ended up taking Trey Lance from North Dakota State University. And I think that might be one of the best picks in the first round, honestly, as far as quarterbacks are concerned, because smaller school, um, North Dakota State University is not on the map for the most part. Um, you know, they're not they're not a big-name program kind of a thing. But this is a superstar player in the making there. And he's super young, too. I think he's uh, just a hair shy of being 21. And if you look at what uh, Kyle Shanahan has there in San Francisco right now, his offensive style is more towards the – the bootleg quarterback, the running quarterback, the, the Steve Young and the John Elway type of quarterbacks, the guys who can run around, they can throw accurately, and that seems to be what Trey Lance is. And I think this is going to be a great pick for them, particular because they don't need to rush him in there and have him play right away. He's got Jimmy Garoppolo in there. You can let Trey Lance sit behind him for a year or two, let Garoppolo continue to play. And then when you feel like the time is ready and he's been nurtured enough, you 
put Trey Lance in there and you, you, you build around him as your offense. And I think that's a great, a great choice there. Um, and then you go to the fourth pick, and I really like this fourth pick because I'm a huge Gator fan, and that is Kyle Pitts out of Florida. He's a tight end, but he's going to be a wide receiver in the NFL. He, I think he is probably the most talented wide receiver, at least hands wide receiver in the draft. He's such long arms. Throw the ball within 10 yards of this guy, he's going to catch it. So, so the only real surprise I think early on was probably just the quarterback the 49ers picked. Everything else seemed to be kind of, in my my mind at least, right on right on par. There was a, a bizarre trade between the Eagles and the and the Cowboys. That was kind of a unusual thing for two division rivals like that to make a trade in the first round. But uh, other than that, it's been a, a I'd say a pretty pretty standard uh, draft to this point. Yeah, I would agree. I, I definitely thought um, a couple of surprises. I was a little surprised that the 49ers got Trey Lance. I was really thinking that the Jets may have went in that direction with a more athletic quarterback with, with mm-hmm. Trey. So I was a little surprised that they, they went for Zach over Trey. Not that either one is bad, but I just felt that that athletic dynamic, Trey Lance may have went to the Jets. But um, definitely I was, it's good that the first three picks were quarterbacks, definitely were teams that needed quarterback positions. The only other surprise that was in the, the top 10 was Devontae Smith. I was really surprised that he went all the way down to number 10, being the, the Heisman winner. There was two other wide receivers picked above him, the yeah. Bengals. And also that, the, that surprised me. Yeah. That did surprise me. I, I was surprised that he, you know, if he don't get picked by the, the Eagles who moved up, like you said, which is surprising that the Cowboys gave up a pick, that he doesn't get drafted in the first 10 picks. And, you know, he, he did make it because of that trade, but I was a little surprised with him. I know that they questioned his size, but he still won the Heisman. He's a, he's a, a beast of receiver. I was a little surprised that both the Bengals and the Dolphins passed on him and they went with Jamar. Not that they're, they're bad receivers, but I was a little surprised that they, they picked – well, one of them is his teammate. Jalen, they picked Jalen over Devontae. Well, you yeah, and I, I think that, well, it, it, yeah, it does surprise me. I, I thought Smith, uh, you know, outside of Kyle Pitts, who, I mean, he drafted as a tight end, but let's face it, he's going to be a wide receiver. That's a whole other whole other story. Chase, I think the interesting thing about him going to the Bengals, he was teammates with Joe Burrow at LSU, so there's some familiarity yeah. there, and I think that does play in. And then the Dolphins taking uh, Waddle or Waddell, however you say his last name there, he obviously played at Alabama with Tua. So there's some familiarity there. And I don't know, remember if Devontae Smith was with the, the uh, with Alabama uh, two years ago with uh, Tua. So I'm not sure how that played out. Maybe it's a familiarity thing. There may have been some other stuff in the background. But I want to interrupt yeah. here for just a moment. There's some breaking news uh, on a local team here. Um, watching this on the, uh, the draft tracker. Tampa Bay has selected its future quarterback. Kyle Trask out of the University of Florida is the 32nd pick in the second round. He goes to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is a great pick, I think, for Tampa uh, to get a, a future quarterback. A guy who can sit behind. He's a similar type of quarterback, uh, at least as far as some of the skill set, a little bit more mobile than Tom Brady, but a great guy to sit behind Brady for a couple years and maybe the, the future possible franchise quarterback for uh, – 
for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers there. That's really interesting to see that. Yeah, that that is interesting to see it, but it is a, a great pick. You know, the Bucks have to think down the road, two, three years down the road. You know, Brady's you know, he's getting up there. So I think it is a smart pick for them to to draft a quarterback. I don't think it's it's a knock on Brady in any sense of the word, but they have to look for a long-term quarterback. And that's a that's a great pick for the Bucks. I agree with you. I thought the Bucks did a – what did you think about the Bucks picking Joe on the first round? Well, I mean, you go for need sometimes, and sometimes you go for the best player out there. And, you know, look, the Bucks they're, they're in a position trying to catch lightning in a bottle at this point. And that, they did that in 2020, and they're going to try to do it again, I think, in 2021. That's just how it is. You've had a team that's, you know, for 15 years really struggled just to get to the postseason – and so you're going to pick based on what you need. And I think it was a great pick for them. Um, you know, the defensive side of the ball is, I mean, you got to make sure you're protecting that side of the football. You can score 50 points in a game, and if you give it 51, you lose. So you got to make sure you're building on that side as well. And let's be, be honest here. I mean, up until this past season, any previous Tampa team other than maybe 2 which of course was another Super Bowl winner, the Bucks were known for their defense. They've really never been known for the offensive side of the football. So building up, you know, on that side of the football, and we go back to the Warren Sapp, Derek Brooks, Rondé Barber days, um, just having lived in Central Florida for my whole life, you want to start bringing players like that back in that are going to make that side of the football, you know, pop again. And, you know, how great their defense was in the late 90s and early 2000s, if they can get the defense back to a level of, you know, that standard, you bring in a quarterback like Kyle Trask and you have some of the offensive weapons that he's going to have in the future sitting behind and learning from Tom Brady, this might not just be a two- or three-year venture the Bucks have. They may be a team that can really compete for seven, eight, nine, ten years. You know, who knows? Yeah, I definitely think that's a great point. That I, I really love both of the picks that the Bucks made, you know, going with Joe and and, and going with the quarterback crash. It's just um you gotta think you, you defensive wins championships and the Bucks went with need more than the best player. And I I like that, that draft pick. I think that when it comes to drafting you have to look at that that you need what you need first more than anything versus a great player that you can make him into something. I always feel as if you got to draft on need. What are your thoughts on that? Drafting on need or drafting the best player that's available? Well, I think it depends on what team you are. You know, if you're, if you are Jacksonville, for instance, mm-hmm. you're trying to put building block pieces in place. If you're a team that is more stacked, um, you know, we'll use, we won't use this past year's team. We'll go back to 2019 and, and before New England, for instance. They seem to be able to just find guys randomly and turn them into to highly talented players, Pro Bowl type of players. I think it depends on where you're at. So if you're rebuilding, obviously you've got a draft based on the needs, the holes that you have on your on your roster. Um, it just it's all about philosophy, really, at this point. I mean, Green Bay is a good example of a team that. Typically, in the past, um, maybe the last couple of years has been a little bit different, but typically they draft the best available player on the board. And then they find yeah. a way to fill that player in. And then if they don't work out for them, they end up trading them and, 
and going in a different direction. But um, for, for Tampa, this was, in, in my opinion, you know, you, you get get what you can, take take the the player that fits your team the best, and I think this was probably really what they needed to do, and and um, by them. And want to mention this too here today, since we're talking about the Bucks uh, this past week. Uh, Gino Hayes, he played for the Bucks uh, back in I believe 2008. Spent several years in the NFL, bounced around to a couple different teams. Uh, unfortunately, uh, he had an illness that he, he didn't beat and uh, passed away. So I want to send our condolences from the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk podcast to the uh, family and friends of, uh, of Gino Hayes. Yes, definitely. You know, Gino Hayes, you know, some sad news that, you know, that number 33, unfortunately, that's about the age that he lived to. And want to send our praise and condolences to his family. And definitely um, such a such a young guy, and definitely a, a great talent, and definitely we wish him and his family the best. Yes. Yeah, so, speaking of the NFL, uh, I wanted to, to get your thoughts on a couple things. <laughs> the Green Bay Packers, since you're a big Packer fan, they took Eric Stokes, cornerback from Georgia. What do you think about that pick? Draft the best player available. Um, now, I, I would argue that the Packers really needed to go a different direction, go for a wide receiver. There are still some pretty good receivers out there uh, that they can grab in the third, fourth, and fifth rounds. Um, again, you mentioned before, defense wins championships. This is a player out of the SEC uh, from Georgia. Excellent defensive player. Um, you know, sometimes those are the picks that, may not be the sexy pick, so to speak, with a, an offensive player. It may not be the superstar, you know, talent that's going to touch the football, you know, many times per game. But this is a good pick for Green Bay, a solid, solid pick. They've really been trying to build up that side of the football so they can maintain, you know, a championship caliber football team. Um, I tell you what, though, a lot of drama going on in Green Bay right now. Um, yeah. You know, we've been, we've been, and it's been building up. This is not something that just started in the last couple of days. This has probably been building up for almost a year now, if not more. Um, I, I would say probably goes back about two years when, uh, when Green Bay decided to move on from Mike McCarthy, there was a lot of talk about, well, what does Aaron Rodgers want to have as his next head coach? And, you know, this is a franchise player. This, this is, this generation's Brett Favre, and Brett Favre had a lot of say, I think, to some degree in the 90s with, you know, who eventually replaced Mike Holmgren and kind of how things went from there. So um, a lot of this stems from a new coach, a coach that is really not that much older than Aaron Rodgers. Matt LaFleur <laughs> is only about two and a – I mean, this is like a, 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 an older brother, younger brother uh, situation from coach to quarterback. And so I, I, I kind of wonder if in the back of Aaron Rodgers' mind, even though he's had two great seasons, uh, 20 and 6, I want to say, is the record that he's had in the two years. I may be off on those numbers. I think it's 26 and 6, rather, in two years as the head coach, LaFleur, at, at Green Bay. But they've come up short in the title game each, each of the last two years. And I just wonder how much of, you know, do we make the right picks draft-wise? And I know Aaron Rodgers is annoyed with the Jordan Love pick last year. So really the, the tipping point really 
probably what he was last uh, last year's draft, last April's draft, no question in my mind. And so the stories started coming up yesterday about Aaron Rodgers wants out of Green Bay. We heard about the 49ers. There was a talk of a trade. There was talk that the third pick might go to Green Bay. Um, then there's talk about Denver being involved. There's also talk about the Raiders wanting to jump in. I don't think anything's imminent at this point. Um, I'll give you my opinion in a couple different areas of this, though. He has every right to ask for a trade. I don't think there's any question. I mean, this guy, he's been in the league for 15 years. Uh, so he has every right to, to request a trade. If it's going to happen, it's not going to happen until after June 1st, because right now he has a $38.4 million cap hit. If he's traded after June 1st, he's a $21.6 million cap hit, some, something in that range. So Green Bay would be stupid to trade him now with that big of a cap hit in the salary cap. Um, part of me says, look, this guy is a legend. He's a future Hall of Famer. He is one of the best quarterbacks of his era. So keep him and use him and let him play out his career there in Green Bay. The other side of me is I'm not really a big fan of him, even though I'm a Packers fan. <laughs> wow, wow. Yeah, I'm kind of ready. Well, and, and, and it's not his playing ability. If we're talking about him just as a player, there's not a quarterback in the NFL that I'd rather have that's a veteran quarterback than him playing in Green Bay. I'm going to throw this twist in there, though. He seems to attract a lot of drama, whether it's on the field or off the field or kind of a mixture of the two. And that, I think, is a, a thing that really distracts the team from being able to do its job, do what it's supposed to do. Whether it's his personal life with whoever he's dating or just getting involved in, you know, the speculation of who's going to be the next coach, who's going to call the offensive plays. I'm happy they hired this guy. I'm not happy they hired this guy. I don't like the fact they drafted so-and-so. They need to build the offense around me, get me more receivers, get me more help. I get that. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm glad he's vocal to the team and says, hey, I, I wish you would do this. To me, it's also a distraction at the same time. And I really think at this point, look, he, he won a Super Bowl in 2010. That was his third year in the league. And, yes, he's been a great quarterback. He's a Hall of Famer. If he doesn't play another down in the NFL, Aaron Rodgers is a first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't think there's anybody out there who's going to argue against that. A couple MVPs, um, you know, he chokes in the playoffs, though. I mean, he had, the, he had the great run in 2010, for sure. But he is 1-4 in, in NFC Championship games. And so the last 10 years, and I, I would agree to, to, to some extent that Green Bay's management, has, and, and from a coaching perspective and also from a front office perspective, they have wasted a lot of great years of what Aaron Rodgers was as a quarterback. I, I would 100% agree with that, too. But at this point, you have – drafted a player that fits the system that Matt LaFleur wants to run better because, look, quarterbacks, and I don't say Aaron Rodgers is necessarily a, a pure pocket quarterback. He can scramble and run around. But the days of the, the primary pocket quarterback are almost over. Everyone wants a dual-threat quarterback. Everybody wants a, um, you know, a Randall Cunningham-ish, uh, Michael Vickish type of quarterback. You know, a guy who can, if he can't find a receiver, he can make it happen with his feet. He's another running back. So Jordan Love, I think, fits that system a little bit better. We don't know a whole lot about him yet. He hasn't really played. We haven't seen much of him other than what's on film. 
But I, I do think that if the time is going to happen, this is the time to do it because the value of Aaron Rodgers right now for what you can get for him will probably never be higher. And if you're going to cut your losses and try to save face at the same time, to me, now is the time to do it. Because, again, you built the system to fit the guy you drafted in the, in the draft last year, who, by the way, they traded up to get. And in my opinion, you don't trade up to get somebody that you're not intending to build the team around in the future. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. I mean, why trade up to get a pick of a quarterback if you have no intention of playing him? That's just a waste pick all the way around. You could have picked somebody else in a different position. If you're going to move up, there's somebody you really, really want and is going to be a part of your team somehow, some way. Whether it's a long-term or short-term, they're going to have to play especially in the first round. So I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I just think, I think Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, I won't, it, it reminds me of a person when I used to work in sales, I won't mention a person's name, but I'll kind of describe him a bit. He was a very good salesperson, very good, but he was just too opinionated. And he kind of reminds me of Aaron Rodgers in that way. He's very good, but he made it his, – his ego got the best of him, meaning that, you know, they did things to accommodate him, him in the beginning, and he was feeling himself, which is great, but then he started feeling his own hype. Okay, you're good, but you are not irreplaceable good. Nobody in the NFL is irreplaceably good. I feel like Aaron is, is a very good player, but he – like you said, his, his player resume is, is not the greatest – he hasn't won. He hasn't won um, an NFC conference team or an or MVP in some years now. Yes, he is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yes, he is very very good. Not gonna knock him for that. But the NFL and sports is what have you done for me lately? And yeah. you looked at the Bucks. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I'm saying I agree with you. It's it's what have you done for me lately? Ten years ago it doesn't matter at this point. That's way in the past. Good to have on your resume, but it, it means means very little because everybody pe- people tend to forget. They they want to know what you did for us last season or the season before, and what you're going to do for me this next season and the season after. Not what you did ten ten or twelve years ago. Absolutely, and that's that's where I see Aaron. Like, yes, your your resume is great, but recently, have you won anything recently? Yes, he's got the MVP, which is recent, but. When the team really needed you, what did you do in the NFC Conference against the Bucks? You were forcing the ball to Adams. You were forcing it to him, even when he was covered. And then you were forcing it so much to your number one receiver, you had a chance to get either first down or at least move the ball, maybe get, get a score by running. But you're like you were looking so hard and forcing it to him, you didn't look at another option. And – quarterbacks have to make the best decision. I know it's instant, but you had some yards in front of you. Now, I think I agree with a lot of what you said. If, if, if the Green Bay Packers, I know they're adamantly saying, we're not going to trade him, we're not going to trade him. But I think if Aaron Rodgers keeps singing the tune that he wants to be traded, he's going to get traded. That's just how it goes. You know, if he doesn't want to play for your team, it's hard for you to have him as your quarterback. That's just, He's the leader of your team, and he's telling you don't want to play. You don't want to be the leader. 
it's hard for you to put him as the leader of your team. So if he wants a trade, he's going to get traded. And you're right. His, his value to get traded is going to be the highest because I think the Packers are nicely telling Aaron we're trying to move in another direction, but you played so great last year that you made it hard for us to move you. But they kind of do want to play Jordan. I think they want to plug him in. They're not going to say it, but I do think they want to give him some type of, you know, some type of play. It's going to be second year in the league, and you're going to be on the bench, not going to get any work if Aaron is there. And, you know, usually when you have a new quarter, a new coach, you get a new quarterback. It's, it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's maybe not the way it's kind of you want it to go, but that's usually how it goes in the NFL. New coach usually wants his own quarterback. And the thing about it is I just think I, I, I my instinct is telling me that Aaron Rodgers is probably going to be done with playing with Green Bay. I, I, I don't think he's going to retire. I know he's been saying that, but I don't think he's going to retire. I think he's going to play for another team you know, if the situation is right. And and the part of this is this team quarterbacks want to go to another team. I think it's Tom Brady because Tom Brady, he kind of set the president that I could leave one team, go to another and get a ring. So my, my gut feeling is telling me that Aaron Rodgers is going to be done in the Packers. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that, you know, what Green Bay I think was saying last night and into today is we're not training him right now. And I think, and I don't know how long they've known about this. I would say they've probably known about it for a while. They're trying to control, in my opinion at least, they're trying to control the public relations side of this. I mean, this is a popular player. This is this is essentially to a degree, it's not exactly the same, but there's some similarities to what Brett Favre had happened to him in 2008. He retired. He kind of felt like he was forced into retirement. And he wasn't really ready wasn't honest with himself, which was probably the, the fault of his own and some, some of the Packers' fault, too, for not really giving him the opportunity to make a decision. Here's what I think is going to happen. As I mentioned before, after June 1st, if the Packers trade Aaron Rodgers, it's a smaller cap hit. There are two teams, and I'm looking at the draft tracker right now just to see if anything else has changed. There are two teams that still need a quarterback that make perfect sense to me. Denver Broncos, certainly. Um, you know, again, it's going to be kind of similar to what's going on in Tampa. You're trying to catch, and what happened with Peyton Manning uh, almost 10 years ago, you're trying to catch lightning in a bottle. You're trying to win a Super Bowl in the next year or two or three. So Denver makes sense. And any quarterback of any value that has any amount of talent, especially the kind of talent Aaron Rodgers has, is always going to be attractive to John Gruden. And the Raiders, yes, I, I think that they have a great quarterbacking call right now. But, again, if you have an opportunity to get a guy like Aaron Rodgers to come play in Las Vegas, um, more power to you. you know. And I, so I think both of those are situations that are good. I really think, honestly – out of those two, Denver would probably be the more attractive situation because they've got some of the other pieces kind of in place where they could be a contender probably in one to two years. 
Mm-hmm. But they also just picked up Teddy Bridgewater. So what do you do with Teddy Bridgewater if you bring in Aaron Rodgers? So then you got to start looking at the Raiders. And you, know, you bring him in, and then you, you maybe trade Carr, get a, a mid, mid-round pick for him for next year, kind of see where it goes from there. And then if you're Green Bay, you've got everything set. You've got the, the dramas out the door. Yes, it's going to be a huge thing for the media coming in there, watching how, how the Packers play in training camp and preseason and as the year begins, because it's going to be, hey, this is the first time in X amount of years that the Packers haven't had Aaron Rodgers on their roster. But I just I feel like it's time for that to happen, and I think that's what's going to happen here. I'd be very shocked if they are able to reconcile the uh, the situation that's gone on these last uh, year or so uh, there in Green Bay. Yeah, I agree. I think I think it's be very tough to reconcile if they do throw a hail mary and Aaron Rodgers is good with those hail marys, great with that, and they do reconcile the situation. I don't think it's going to be a very good playing situation for both Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. I think if they reconcile, they might be able to get past it, but I think a couple of games to the season, things are not going to be kind of hunky-dory on both sides. I think Aaron's going to get a little irritated. The team starts losing. They might be talking in his ear, hey, we want to give Jordan a chance to play a few downs. I could see Aaron not liking that, and it could go pretty poorly for both sides. So, I think if they do reconcile, it's going to go poorly for both sides. I think the best thing to do is actually to move Aaron at this point. I, I just think, you know, um, you got a, the first-round cornerback. You're obviously not listening to what he had to say and get another wide receiver. I'm sure Aaron would have said get another wide receiver. But at this point, I think it's a good way for them to, to part ways during the offseason and make the move and make Jordan – the man. I mean, hey, he's, he's been the backup for a year with Aaron Rodgers. For for the Packers, it's it's actually not a bad situation. I mean, he's got he's got Adams. He's you know he's got Jones. He's got some weapons, and now he's got a cornerback. But yeah, I agree. I think I think I think the situation has gone contentious, and I think it's probably good for them to move on. I think if this has been going on since that draft, and it's been kind of like covering itself up since that point. And I think Aaron was very professional. He showed them, hey, I can still do it and got the MVP. But I think that just bought him more time more than anything. I think it's a good time for them to move on. I think it's probably the best thing to do Yeah, both sides. 100%. 100% agree on that here. Yeah. So my question to you is who's to blame on that one? Oh, I think it's a back and forth. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, on on one hand, I mean, look, here's the reality and the facts of what happened. Uh, late in the 2019 season, I believe it was, was it 19 or 18? 19, or sorry, 18 rather. Green Bay decided after almost 15 years to move on from Mike McCarthy. Did it at the end of the season, did it end the season, which was kind of, unusual, especially for a guy who'd won a Super Bowl just a few years earlier. But things yeah. were really ugly in Green Bay. No question about that. It was a really disastrous season. They they lost games they should have won, um, blew leads they should have held on to, change needed to be made. That might have been the point where they should have said, hey, maybe we should consider moving on from Aaron Rodgers. So they bring in another head coach, a guy who'd been a 
offensive coordinator in Tennessee uh, with the uh, with the Titans, and he probably wasn't the, the overwhelmingly favorite to, to pick. But Green Bay always does that. They don't they don't pick guys that um, are necessarily the the top guy who you thought was going to be the, the next pick to be head coach. So to kind of sum it up here, I, I would say there's a little blame on both sides. I think that you bring in a coach. You mentioned this before. He's going to pick his quarterback. He's going to find the guy who's going to fit his team. And look, Matt LaFleur is no dummy. He wants to keep his job for as long as he can. The guy's about 40, 41 years old. You know, he wants to be there for a good eight to ten years. Let's be honest and realistic here. Aaron Rodgers isn't going to play that long. So you've got to start thinking about, if I'm an offensive coach, quarterback's the most important position on the side of the field that I coach got to have a long-term fit. So they draft Jordan Love. So I would say from that perspective, it's a little bit of Matt LaFleur and management's fault. But the drama being built up to where it's at now, Aaron Rodgers should have come out back in January right after the Packers lost in the NFC title game and said, look, I appreciate everything the city has done for me and this franchise and being a part of the history and the culture of Green Bay football. It's unlike any other place not just in the NFL, but in sports. I've been there. It is, it, there's just something about Green Bay that is different than any place I've ever been. I've been to Tampa, been to Atlanta, been to Miami, I've been to Jacksonville, uh, been all over the place for NFL. There is just nothing like Green Bay. So he, I, he should have said back then, hey, look, I appreciate it. I feel like it's time for me to move on, finish my career out somewhere else, rather than drag it out and wait until right before the draft. So that side of things, I would say it's a 60-40 game. 60% of it, I think, is Aaron Rodgers and the drama he's created here. The other 40% is the unintended consequences of, hey, we got a new coach. We drafted a quarterback that fits his system better. That's how I look at it. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think Aaron got his feelings hurt a little too much on that. And you take it way personal. And you're right. It is it's something that Aaron is, you know, when you're a public figure like Aaron, and you make statements that things are not going good right before the draft, and you know it's the draft, you, <laughs> you're making a statement to the Packers. You know, you're, you're contributing to the, to the drama. You know the timing with you throwing this in, the, in the, the engine right when you're about to have the draft. So it's a sticking point, and I think it's probably best he move on. And I have to say – you're right. I agree with you. I think Aaron does contribute to a lot of the drama. It's it's kind of like he's fallen into that Brett Favre thing where he that's who he took over was Brett Favre, and he saw that drama that happened. I think he he maybe caught some of that learning, too, that learning curve. <laughs> but he, he he does he does fit for the drama, and he might say, oh, what a, I don't like the drama. Well, you kind of do. You make statements, and the way you answer questions, yeah, you open up doors for this drama. So, well, he, he likes to be the center of attention. Yeah. I think that's really what this is about. Yeah. Let's let's look at his personality for a moment here. High-profile dating life. He dated Danica Patrick for a while. He dated, oh, yeah. I think, Olivia Wilde for a little while. Um, he has hosted Jeopardy, and I'm not faulting him for these things. I'm just saying that I'm just saying he's in the spotlight. And I, I really, honestly, I think a lot of what happened yesterday is that. Big ego, and let's face it, his ego and Brett Favre's ego are almost on par right now at this point. Oh, yeah. They, they, they oh, do yeah. not like not being in the spotlight. And look, look, Brett Favre retires in 2008, 
we think he's you know ridden away on the horse into the sunset, and three four months later, as training camp is breaking, hey, I told you guys I retired. I didn't really want to retire. He tried to force a trade. Everybody remembers this, uh, at least from the Central Florida area. He tried to force a trade to to the Bucks, and man, what that would have been with <laughs> with uh, Brett Favre playing for John Gruden, that would have been a really interesting uh, year or two possibly there. So any in, in the event. He doesn't get traded to the Bucks. He gets traded to the Jets. Probably the worst thing that ever happened in his career. Now, he was able to rebound. He, quote-unquote, retired again and then came back and played for the, the Vikings for the final two years of his career. But Brett Favre, again, didn't want to not be in the spotlight. And he seems like he's still in the spotlight now. He's, you know, still talks a lot. And, you know, it, you know he's allowed to do that. But, you know... <laughs> It's one of the things I think for Aaron Rodgers. You look at again some of the personal stuff. He's got the Jeopardy stuff. He's in these commercials for car insurance all the time. He likes to talk. He likes to be a center of attention. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but the byproduct of it is sometimes it becomes a distraction. That's why I think the Packers need to say, "Hey, cut our losses. Thank him for his 15 years with our team. Let's go on to the next guy who I think has a chance to be a really good quarterback too." I agree. Well said. And yeah, he 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 likes to get that attention and. His ego is definitely showing. I mean, not that he hasn't, he's not a great player, but pride comes before a fall, unfortunately. And I think that's what's going to happen here. And, and I I've, I've looked at a lot of, I've looked at a lot of statements down online. I, I you know, follow a lot of the Packer uh, social media and I've seen fans who are basically saying, you know, oh, if the Packers trade Aaron Rodgers or they force him to retire, I'm not going to be a Packer fan anymore. I get it. It, it 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 sucks when you have a player of that caliber that you don't have anymore for whatever reason. He retires, you force him to retire, or he forces your team to trade him. I get that side of things, but at the end of the day, how many times have you been a fan of a, a, a player on your favorite team, that player left? And, yeah, it leaves kind of a hole in your heart kind of thing, but then you get over it because the next guy comes in and he's, he makes you forget about the, the previous – are it's the same thing you root for the team yes the player you 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 love and you support and everything like that but the, the team comes first and it's 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 that mentality that i think has to have you know and again everybody's gonna have their own opinion on this but in my opinion don't give up on the team that you follow for 15 or 20 years because one player leaves this guy created his own drama now he's stewing in it and he's trying to take you down with him just don't let that happen <laughs> no, you're right. No one's bigger than the team. And, yeah, I mean, people said the same thing about Brett Favre that Aaron came in. You don't know what Jordan Love can do. I mean, let's see what the kid can do, you know. You got you traded up to get him. You got to, at some point, play the kid. So I think I think it's a good break for them. No one really, as far as timing, it's good for both sides. I don't think – I think it's a great move to move him now. And I think that's what the, the Packers going to end up doing. And I wish Aaron the best in his, uh, his thing. And I don't think he's going to retire right now and be on jeopardy full time. I, I just don't see that <laughs> maybe in the future, but not right now, but yeah, he, he, he loves the spotlight. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So a lot, a lot of NFL stuff. Uh, great to have. I mean, it, it, it was nice. I don't know how you felt about this, but it was nice last night 
especially when you compare it to last year's draft, which was done in a secret lair somewhere where Roger Goodell oh, yeah. was hanging out in his basement. <laughs> Roger Goodell. It so, yeah, it was so nice to see people at the draft and fans at the draft. And they did that neat thing. I don't know if you, you noticed this or not, where they allowed um, a fan from each team to go sit in Roger Goodell's chair during the pick up until the point where they made the actual selection. That was such a neat idea. Whoever came up with that, that was really smart. Um, getting the fans back into the game. I think we're going to see full, full capacity stadiums this year. Obviously they're going to take precautions on, uh, on, you know, people coming in and everything like that. But I think we're going to see full capacity this year. I wouldn't be shocked if most of the NFL was to a full, um, full setting like we've had in the past. Yeah, I agree. I think it it is going to be full capacity. NFL is known to be more aggressive, even in the midst of the corona of COVID nineteen. They were very aggressive, and they were like, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna do what we do." And the NFL, I think, next year is is gonna well later this year, I should say. Yeah, I think I definitely agree. If they if they don't have full capacity, it's going to be a lot more capacity. I'll put it like that, and mm-hmm. You know, they may even put in the the thing where you have to be vaccinated and things like that. You never know. But now that, you know, you have a few months to go, there's people getting more people getting vaccinated as days go by. So, yeah, it's nice. It's, it's great that, that things are starting to open up again. You know, you're right. They, <laughs> they had last year's draft was in Roger Goodell's home, which was, which is really cool, you know, downstairs in his, uh, his basement, which is a man cave. And, you know, he's, <laughs> he's got it decked out real nice. But to be on the stage and do things like that is really cool again. I, I guess Roger Goodell must have already gotten vaccinated because he didn't have a mask on. All the draft picks came up and gave him a big hug with no mask on. So, you know, I, if he's going to do that, you know things are going to be very aggressive when the season starts. But it's nice that um, – Yeah, and I think they said uh, – and I don't know what, what network you watched the draft on. I watched it on ESPN, and they did make mention that everyone who was there had been vaccinated already as okay. part of the protocol to let them in. And you mentioned something there that I've always thought was really cool. I've been watching NFL drafts for 25 years at least. Um, yeah. I mean, dating back to the early 90s, you know, when Chris Berman and – all the guys on ESPN would uh, Tom Jackson, all those guys would 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 uh, run through the player selections and things like that. And even back when Paul Tagliabue was the commissioner, one of my favorite moments has always been: no matter who the player was, you'd see him come out, you'd see them hand in the jersey that has the number one and their name on the back, and they get the hat and they take their picture, and then they give the commissioner this big hug. And it's just it's always been a neat thing. So it was really neat to see that happening again last night. Um, see things kind of returning to normal and you know America loves football so it's nice to have uh NFL coming back and it also is nice you know we're going to have college football too so I think it'll it'll be fun they kind of go hand in hand obviously the college football level feeds the NFL level so um but we're only uh let's see we're at the uh, 30th of uh, of of uh, April right now we're only about uh, two and a half maybe two and three quarters months away from training camps getting kicked off in short yeah. order, NFL's right back here, so we're we're looking forward to it. Yeah, exactly. The NFL's coming back 
and things are, are going to be back in flesh. And, you know, the NFL is, is the one thing that is, it's such a big hype when the Super Bowl comes and you watch Super Bowl, but a week after the Super Bowl happens, there's such a big letdown because you realize there's a long off season and, you know, football, I got to give them a lot of credit. NFL, they make it exciting and you, they make it so you want more, you know, you, you kind of curious to see if the Bucks are going to make it and win it again. Tom Brady, there's always a superstar. You're going to see who if Aaron Rodgers sticks around. You're going to see if Russell Wilson sticks around. <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. So that's the great thing about the NFL is always drama, but it's, it's always interesting. It's like a soap opera, you know? <laughs> oh, it absolutely is. And uh, speaking of um, Deshaun Watson, I think that the uh, Texans, I believe, took Davis Mills, the quarterback from Stanford, here tonight. So, so probably not the guy who'd start in this coming season, but you've built some depth in there in case the NFL comes down uh, hard there on, uh, on Deshaun Watson with some of the off-field activities that have happened for him the last few years. I fully expect, I think you do too, that um, something's going to happen. There's going to be something in the, um, in the personal uh, activity clause, whatever it's called, the NFL has. Yeah. Something's yep. going to come out of this. There's going to be some sort of suspension or some sort of uh, um, investigation that ends up leading to him probably having a, a, good, a good chunk or possibly more of this coming season out of uh, being able to play. So. Yeah, I mean, Amy Dash talked about that a couple weeks back. And, yeah, I do think the NFL, they're going to do their investigation and they're going to find some way, I feel, to, you know, leverage some type of suspension. And it's, it's a very good idea for the Texans to be ahead of that and, and draft the quarterback. You don't know how that thing is going to play itself out. You know, and, and not in all cases, I would say, get a quarterback depending on your team. But I, I like the, the team's that did get the quarterbacks, I, I think the Texans did a smart move of having a backup plan. You know, like you said, you just don't know how that thing's going to work itself out. Mm-hmm. And I did want to give props to the Patriots, too, for getting Mac Jones. I, I thought that was a very good pick for them to get a quarterback. I mean, they do have Cam, Cam Newton, but you do want to have somebody in place for the future. And it's good for the, you know a guy to come in and learn from a system and and put them out there. I mean, I think I, that might have been the 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 Mac Jones may not be the most talented, um, off the charts uh, athletic quarterback that was taken in the first round. But I think as far as probably the most perfect fit because of the similarities between what Bill Belichick and what Nick Saban do, respectively, for Alabama and New England. And, of course, those guys worked together 25 years ago in Cleveland uh, together on the same coaching staff. I think this is Bill Belichick being able to continue his coaching career. And I think Mac Jones, maybe in a couple other places, maybe Chicago who needed a quarterback or maybe um, San Francisco who needed a quarterback and a few other places, he probably wouldn't have fit in as well. I think he fits the Bill Belichick mold of what a quarterback needs to be there in New England as good as anybody since Tom Brady. And I, yeah, I really I do think that that's – I think I, – I, I really believe 
I'm going to be real honest with you. Cam Newton's days as the starter in New England are very, very numbered. And it takes a couple of I, – I wouldn't be shocked if he struggled in the first couple of games of the season and they say, hey, Mac Jones is the guy now. We're going to put him in there. Wow. Wouldn't shock me at all. I, I, I'm, I'm calling it right now. I, I, I'm going to say by – and, again, it's, it's going to hinge on whether Cam Newton plays well or not. If he plays like he did most of this past season, I don't see him get past week three or four. I think I think Mac Jones will be right in there. Um, again, you know, a guy who has a lot of similar skill set, great arm, great distance. Um, again, I don't think he would have been a good fit in a number of those other places I mentioned before. And I really wasn't sure he belonged in the first round because I think he had a great college career. A lot of guys had great college careers at big schools like Alabama or LSU or – USC, and we can go through a whole list of names from each of those places. They go to the NFL and they struggle. But they also go to the Jets, they go to the Lions, they go to the uh, uh, to the Browns, they go to these places that are routinely number one picks because they stink. I mean, they're they're bad 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 <laughs> uh, bad, bad teams. That's different. This is New England. This is the most established coach in the yeah. modern NFL era. So, in my opinion. Bill, Bill Belichick's no dummy. I mean, this guy's been a head coach for close to 25 years uh, when you total up his, his coaching career. This is a great fit, and unless something happens physically or just or, or mentally too, I think Mac Jones is a perfect fit. I don't think they, the only guy that I think they could have drafted, in my opinion, it would have been also a similar type of fit would have been Kyle Trask. He went to Tampa, of course, at the end of the second round. But Mac Jones is going to be a perfect fit, and I think the Patriots – are going to get some some really good things out of him going into 2021 and beyond. No, you're absolutely right. I, that's why I want to give the Patriots a lot of credit for that pick. It was a really solid, great pick for the future, Mac Jones. And when you play for a team, you know, like Alabama, where you got great coaches, you have a great support system, you're on a big stage, you kind of want to go to another team that has that because you – you don't want to go to a team where I think where you, you know, you have dysfunction in the front office. It's it's kind of like, okay, I went from a system that you had coaches, you had people that were ahead of me, former players that gave me advice. You're always getting insight from someone who knows a lot. And you go to a team where, like you said, a bottom of the barrel type team where you have dysfunction and people are kind of treating you like you're, a college student that, you know, you come and go, they don't really get to talk to you. It kind of messes with your head. I think that's a great move for the Patriots to get a guy like Mac Jones from his pedigree from coming from Alabama. I think it's a great fit. And like you said, with the coaches, I think it's going to be a, a very, very good move for him. And I think the Patriots did themselves justice. I agree with you too. I just think, I think Cam Newton is going to, He's going to have to pass. I mean, you can run in the NFL, but you can't – this is where I think you come into trouble. You're right. A lot of quarterbacks, a dual threat is what people want. But I think in the NFL, you have to be able to throw first, run second, not run first, throw second. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like yep. you can't be just running, 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 and – did throw when needed. It's the opposite. You got to throw to set up the run. Like Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is a very good passer. 
You know, say he doesn't just run out there all day long. You got to be able to pass first, run second, 60-40. And that's what it's got to be. And I just think uh, I think that was a great pick for the Patriots. And I think I think the pressure is going to be pretty 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 high on Kim now. You, you didn't play so great last year. The team didn't make the playoffs. And now you're going to come back where you got a first round draft pick right there behind you. He's going to be high. And if he doesn't if he doesn't execute, I agree with you. After three or four games, they they might give him a shot. They might give a shot. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I think it's I think it's going to be that way. And and just to kind of piggyback off what you said there, you know, the thing that that gives me confidence in Mac Jones isn't necessarily his playing ability because again, how you play in college doesn't always necessarily translate over to how you play in the NFL. It sometimes is a skill set thing. Sometimes it's a system thing. This is not taking anything away from the Patriots and what they do. But this is a good fit because the 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 dynamic and the skill set that Mac Jones has fits the type of quarterback that Bill Belichick's used for the last twenty years. To yeah. look at the opposite side of that, and you mentioned bottom of the barrel and guys that were very talented. I'll name a couple quarterbacks off here that had they been handled better, might have been stars in the NFL. Jamarcus Russell number one pick out of LSU in, I believe, 2007, won a national title, goes to the Raiders. The Raiders, up until these last couple of years, are changing coaches every year when Al Davis was still around. Uh, you know, this guy looked at me wrong. I'm going to fire him. So they were, they were cha- changing coaches and coordinators and, you know, all that kind of stuff all the time. You can't, you can't be a, a, a quarterback, learn all these systems, and continuously change them and expect to have any good results on the field. I'll use that same example in Cleveland, and we can name off three or four quarterbacks that went to Cleveland number one overall or in the first round that didn't have the success you would have thought they would have had. Tim Couch way back in 99, uh, obviously Johnny Manziel. Um, you know, there's a whole other list of guys you could probably name for them. And it didn't work out because, again, you didn't have that consistency of – body of work that you've had. Now, I will say this. I think that it's probably not going to happen in 2021. We're probably looking at 22 or 23 at the earliest. I think that, and I'm going to call it right now here on the show tonight, Trevor Lawrence is the next Peyton Manning. I think he's the next superstar quarterback, the next dynamic franchise quarterback. And I think as long as he can be patient and – not walk away too soon. I think Urban Meyer, because of his, again, his body of work and everything he's done in the last five jobs that he's had as a college coach, again, if he's patient and is willing to work through some of the imperfections and some of the tribulations that are going to go through in Jacksonville these next couple of years, I think that they can really be a really good team if they get the right pieces put around uh, around him as a quarterback. I, I see this being the Indianapolis Colts of the late 90s, early 2000s all over again. Yeah, and, and let's not forget, Jacksonville had a very good team, you know, not too Just long ago. a couple ago. years ago. Yeah. 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 I mean, they had a very, very solid team, great defense, Leonard Fournette. I mean, <laughs> so, 
with Urban Meyer, I definitely think um, I like what he's doing so far. You know, he just now that he's got a, a young quarterback, I think that's a perfect move for them because I think a guy like Urban would be tougher if he was kind of working and coaching a veteran. Now that he's going to be kind of schooling his own guy, it's going to be like kind of like the college feel a little bit, you know, take a guy who's right out of college and you're going to school him along to be a great quarterback. And you're right. I, I definitely think there's a high ceiling for Trevor and he just has to keep his head on straight, you know, stay out of trouble, pick, a, pick the right people, hang around, listen to the coach. And I think he'll be, he'll be great. I think uh, he's already got the skills and attributes and you're right. You never know how it's going to work on the NFL, but all things are looking good. I, I think for Trevor, Zach, and Trey, I think they're all going to be definitely something to think about in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah, 100% agree. That's definitely a very good point there. I, now, I did want to get your, your opinion. That, you know, it's kind of switching gears a little bit. I want to definitely hear your opinion on should a seven-inning no-hitter, since you're the MLB enthusiast, should a seven-inning no-hitter count in the Major League record books? I'm going to answer that question this way. Now, that was a tough weekend for, for Atlanta. Um, <laughs> uh, that, that Sunday, uh, uh, Monday, rather, uh, or Sunday. They get uh, one hit in the first game, and they get no hit in the second game. Here's how I'm going to answer that question. If I pull up the box score and I see zero hits in the hit column, that's a no-hitter. And in my opinion, it's not any different than if that game had been a, nine, a normal nine-inning scheduled game. It's a qualified game. And let's say they get to six innings and the heavens open up and it rains the rest of the night and they call the game due to rain. That's what they would do any other time. I've been to a few games in the past. It's a qualified game after five and a half innings or four, uh, four and a half innings. They call the game and they would have called that a no hitter too. So yes, in my opinion, it's a no hitter. And I, I, to me, I'm not a fan of this. And again, this is me being a little bit more opinionated here on this. I do not like shortening games to seven innings. I just, I don't like it. It's, it's, it's against the traditions of baseball. I am totally for, having double headers if you need them. Usually those happen when there's a rain out. These last two seasons they've had them because of the COVID stuff. And I understood last year to a degree, we're just trying to rush through and play this season so that we can have something to give our fans. So last year I was okay with it. Now they're bringing it over here to, to, to 2021. And if I may be critical of some of these ideas and concepts that baseball is trying to now implement – some of the most absurd things that Abner Doubleday would be rolling over his grave many times if he was hearing these things going on now. They're now talking about moving the pitching rubber back by a foot. Dumb idea. Leave the game alone. If it's not broke, don't fix it. That, that's been my philosophy for a long time. They're also talking about experimenting, and the, a lot of times they'll experiment in the minor leagues first before they bring a rule to the big leagues. There's two things that I don't like. There's been talk about, and you've seen games on TV or even in person where the runner leads off first base, the pitcher throws over five times in one sequence. 
guys safe every time. There's been a been talk about limiting that to three throwovers, and if you throw over more than three times or three times, then you automatically give the runner the next base. I, I just wow. <laughs> It, it, to me, it ruins the integrity of the game. So that's one thing there. I agreed with this last year again because of the trying to rush through playing a 60-game schedule, trying to get a season in, trying not to delay things any further than they were with the putting the runner at second base in extra innings. I do not like that now. I just think it, it, it it's little league-ish in my opinion. This isn't Babe Ruth baseball, folks. This is Major League Baseball. This is the highest. There's no higher level than this in, in the universe as far as baseball is concerned. So it's it's to me dumb. There's now been talk, similar to what the NHL does after overtime fails and nobody wins in overtime, where you'll have like a a shootout. Yeah, a home run derby, a home run derby to determine extra innings. I just I, I I'm sorry that that that. It, 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 the, the, the integrity of the game that I grew up with has drastically changed in the last seven or eight years. A lot of it has to do with replay. I, the spirit of replay, I, I, I like, you know, hey, was that ball fair? Was that ball foul? Did it go over the fence? Did it hit something behind the fence? Was it considered a home run? I like those things. But now you're seeing a replay for – did the runner's foot come off the bag? Did did he tag the plate? <laughs> you know, and and we and we've seen. And you can go right now onto MLB dot uh, com or any of the the sites that hold any of these replays. Replay has actually gotten worse. You can see with your own two eyes what should be an obvious call in certain games. We saw we saw one here with. Uh, the uh, Rays and I believe the A's about a week ago, or it was earlier this week, a couple weeks back, the Phillies and the Braves. And there was one I want to say um, the Yankees were involved with here recently too, where everyone in the stadium can see, based on the angles they're showing, that the call was incorrect. They were going to overturn it or it was going to change whatever they had originally called and they uphold the calls, and to me, it's just gotten worse. It's just gotten to be the point where, just get rid of it. Go, go back to the way you did things before. Let managers come out and argue. If you want to challenge whether it was a fair or foul ball, a home run over the fence, go ahead and do that. But what, it, what it's really done, in my opinion, is it's taken what the game used to be, and it's actually made it, to me, it's made it more controversial. And, and at that point, I think you have to, step back and say, are we really making the game better or are we making it worse? And when you see a call that's so blatantly obvious, not get overturned, the people who are kind of on the fence watching it are going to say, this is dumb. I don't, why, why am I going to watch this anymore? So that's just me on my soapbox here today saying, hey, leave the integrity of the game the way it was. It's really starting to hurt the, 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 um, some of the traditions within the game. Yeah, I, I – agree with a lot of what you said. I definitely think that the seven inning, you throw, if a game is going to count in the standings and you have a game that the rule is seven innings prior to the first pitch, to me, if a person throws a no-hitter, that is a no-hitter. Seven or nine innings. I think that guy got robbed of a no-hitter. Because if he lost the game, it would have counted a loss in the column. 
all the other stats would have counted. So before pitch one, if you don't get a base hit, you don't get a base hit. Seven innings, it's a no-hitter in my book. I think Major League Baseball got that rule wrong. They should yep. give that guy a no-hitter. 100% I correct. <laughs> and and I, I think I, I get what Major League Baseball is trying to do. They're trying to speed the game up. I, I get it. And I agree with them in a lot of and a lot of retrospect, like, okay, you don't have to step out of the batter's box 15 times after every single pitch. You know, I, I agree with it. Like, sometimes they used to frustrate me, and I love baseball. A guy has to take forever. It's kind of like in golf where a guy takes forever to, to hit the ball. Like, all right, man, come on. Let's go. Let's move this along, you know? Same thing in baseball. It's like, okay, you don't have to step out after every single pitch, man. You know, and – and I get it. And then the, the, the five or six throws, yeah, sometimes it did get annoying. But I, I agree with instant replay to a, to a degree, though. I do think it's, especially in the ballparks, having it along the fair foul lines, like you said, and home runs. Because it's hard to see from 350 feet away, or it's 375 in a gap, if somebody reached over to catch the ball, and every stadium is different you know you have a yellow line some places you don't have it where it would be a home run where it won't be a home run so it gets confusing so I agree with that you know where is a replay should be used on fair foul balls and home runs I, I do think on safe or out to a certain degree that that should be used too but I just think um, baseball is coming up with so many rules that is getting it's getting too complicated it, it, quite frankly it's like you you know you're coming up with so many you, you it's like becoming too corporate basically is why i look at yeah. it now the only thing i would say is i i know that you love the, the arguing i'm not a big fan of somebody getting in my face and arguing like in baseball <laughs> I, i'm like i like that like even pre-covid that's just saliva. It's just not sanitary. Somebody spit in your mouth. You know, it's just, you catch a cold. <laughs> you catch some, something from them, a flu or something. It don't have to be corona. But get, you don't have to get right in front of someone's face and say curse word after curse word to get your point across. I've never seen someone overthrow, overturn a call because someone argued or picked up a base. So to me, it was like it was like a mute point. But... I just think it's getting too complicated. The one thing that I do think Major League Baseball is starting to get, one of the players said this, and forgive me for, for slipping my mind, during the week, that, which I've been telling you a long time, baseball needs to let some of the emotion go. Meaning, if you hit a home run against Kershaw, and it's a, you know what I mean, and you pump your fist or you flip your bat, to me, you shouldn't be given a green light to retaliate because the guy celebrated. One of the players said, hey, if you don't want him celebrating, strike him out the next time. That's what you need to do. You don't want somebody celebrating, get him out. That's it. You know, I think baseball needs more raw emotion. You hit a home run against Mariano Rivera, you should pump your fist. I mean, you don't get that every day. You just high-level competition. I think baseball needs more of that, more shown of emotion. Stop throwing the batters because he flipped the bat. 
Okay, you didn't like him flipping a bat, strike him out the next time. That's what you got to do. Don't throw that same pitch. I think baseball needs more of that and less rules. And plus, some of the rules that they're making, a lot of them are not really good rules. I mean, you can't throw it three times and then, you know, you, you, the guy advances. That's a pretty stiff penalty if a guy forgets he's thrown over the three times. I did want to bring up one thing. The guy did step off the base, that hidden trick book. <laughs> I saw an Instagram where the, the guy faked to throw it back to the pitcher, and he, and he switched bags. He switched foot, but he did come off the bag a little bit. So I agree with that. I agree with instant replay and stuff like that. I just think Major League Baseball got things backwards. They need to get bring the emotion in, let some of that throwing the batters out of, out of the game a bit, and cut down on some of the rules, or at least make the rules better. Don't don't yeah. don't make it too corporate. Yeah, it has become that way a lot, and I think that uh, I think that a lot of that has to do. Here's the thing: a lot of these rules oh. are. are do, I'm sorry, we have a call on the line. Let me bring them on. Hey, how you doing? Yo, I'm here. Hey, how you been, Lou? All right. <laughs> I know I had time, so I thought I'd come in. <laughs> Lou, how surprised are you at the Jets pick uh, last night? <laughs> Not surprised at all. I mean, this was expected all along, and we got what we yeah. we got what we, uh, we wanted. Now we're just hoping to keep up with it. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, they got a good, a good, solid quarterback. It actually worked out pretty good for the Jets, being that they did trade Sam Darnold. Uh, they got a very good quarterback. Did you agree with the the pick? I do. Okay, so you you would have rather had Zach over Trey? Yes, I, I would. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's, what we, that's what we've been uh, we, we've been looking forward to and. I'm glad we got it. Now just so we can keep it. Yeah. I mean, you got a new coach. I mean, what can we expect from the Jets this coming up season, you think, now? That remains to be seen. You know, we need help on defense an awful lot. So that's what we have to work on most of all. And, of course, we also need a good safety as well. Yeah. So they they do need some pieces. But it's looking up. I mean, I think the Jets – you know, they didn't – I don't better. think their record was as bad as it was last year. Like, I think they played better than their record showed. Yeah, I mean, because they did hang in there for a lot of games. But they just couldn't hold on to it. Yeah, they definitely need help on the defensive side. Was there any other picks that yes. that surprised you? Well, um, I think we did trade in a pick. We're supposed to get the 23rd pick, and we moved up um, – a bit, so that one did surprise me a little bit. I think we was like, uh, I think we got uh, number seventeen or eighteen. It was supposed to be lower in the second pick, so that was a surprise when we uh, were able to trade up. Yeah, I mean, anytime you could trade up, it shows that you you really wanted the person. And the second round results did come in. They did get uh, Elijah Moore, the wide receiver from Ole yeah, Miss. Yeah, we're looking over that right now. So, you know, what do you think about them getting a wide receiver in the second round? That we need. We need that, too, a wide receiver. Of course, I'm pretty better than the first round, but I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, now he's got at least a target to throw to, so that's pretty good. Yeah. Zach Wilson. 
I'm not my target. But yeah, I mean, so the Jets going to be pretty good. No, on paper they are. <laughs> yeah. Was there any other surprises in the NFL draft that you found along the league? No, not really. I mean, you pretty much get what you expected. I mean, if number one, number two didn't go as well as expected, then that would be a big surprise. But I think for the most part, um, you know, it went as, as I expected. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it sounds like you got what you wanted. <laughs> That's always a good thing. Yeah, so I'm yes. I'm hoping, I'm hoping to – so are they going to make the playoffs this year, or do you think that's too soon to call? No, I think it's a little bit too soon, but you can't do much worse than we had last year. I mean, I think it's going to be, you know, like 8-8. Eight eight. At least it'll be better than last year, but just don't expect a playoff run right now. That's asking too much. Okay, so maybe not playoff run, but 8-8, eight eight, maybe 50% yeah. from the field. That's yeah. pretty good. That's a big improvement. Almost anything is a big improvement than last year. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. But hey, you got to start. I thought we were going to see a one fifteen season again. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So definitely. And it, I wanted to ask you: uh, Is that what you're going to be discussing tomorrow on your show? The NFL you know draft? it. You know okay. it. <laughs> however, before we. I can I cannot devote the entire show to the draft. That I cannot do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. So what else are you going to talk about then? Well, we got the derby tomorrow, of course. So that's another, that's another big thing. I'll take predictions on that. Uh, we'll also have monthly monthly look at the standings, uh, NHL and NBA. Of course, I want to get thoughts on uh, who's on the outside looking in on the playoffs. Uh, we'll do NBA. We'll do NHL this week and NBA next week, and I got a few other stories involved. So if you got a chance, you know you can always call in from five to seven. Five to seven. That's right. And I have the number here. It's it's five to seven Eastern Standard Time Zone Saturdays. Yes. And the phone, the yes. phone number I have is five one two five four three four six six two. And that's five one two five four three four six six two. Yes. Yeah, so definitely that's that's going to be great that you'll be doing the show and talking more about the draft and a lot more. So yeah. definitely that's great, 5 to 7 Eastern Standard Time Zone. Mm-hmm, that's correct. Anything else you wanted to let our listeners know? Well, right now um, our our baseball team is going to use a little bit of help because the Yankees, even though they won tonight, they're still two games below 500. But I'm not too worried about that because I've seen those slow starts before, and they usually find a way to bounce back. Yeah, that's right. The Yankees do find a way to bounce back, and they have been playing a lot better since since they was at the bottom of the AL East. They have been actually turning things around, and the bats starting to heat up a bit. So I think the, yeah. the Yankees will be just fine. Oh, I'm sure they will eventually. But even though the Mets are like uh, hanging their their division is still pathetic. Yeah, yeah. So the Mets are still doing not their thing. Great. And, not great. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so, so it definitely the Yankees are hanging in there. It's always a good thing. Was there any other questions you had for for Lou, Aaron? No, Lou. I just uh, I, I thought I'd ask you this uh, since you do follow yeah. the NFL. 
Uh, were you surprised that the 49ers uh, took Trey Lance over uh, over uh, Justin Fields? Okay, that may have been the one thing that did surprise me. I really thought they were going to go with Justin Fields. I really thought that was going to be the going to be the pick. So that that was my only real surprise inside the top ten. Yeah. Oh, I, that brought up another question. Were you surprised that the Heisman winner, Devontae Smith, went to number 10, the number 10 pick? Well, no, I mean, because, um, you know, most of the Heisman picks, you know, even though they do well, you know how they turn to be. So it really didn't, it really didn't surprise, surprise me much at all. Uh, uh-huh. There was one pick. There was one pick, though, that um, that did surprise me. He got drafted pretty low. Uh, Kyle Trask. I thought maybe he'd be selected in the first round. So uh, you know, I thought maybe that pick that he got was you know kind of low. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought mean, I thought at worst case for him maybe early early to mid second round, but Tampa Bay. Um, if they play their cards right with uh, with Trask and let him learn behind, as we talked about earlier in the show, learn behind Tom Brady for at least a year or so, that might be a really good fit there in Tampa Bay. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, Trask sticks out, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. You wouldn't get it, though if I if I told you so. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, I think he, he's he's got a very similar skill set. I, I know that some of the comps on him were. Oh, he reminds me of my favorite TV villains. <laughs> <laughs> I'll explain that another time. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lou, thanks for joining us here tonight. And uh, again, uh, you can tune into Lou's program on the Eastern uh, Time Zone again from five to seven on Saturdays. Yes, that's right. Thanks again, Lou. We always love to hear from you. Thanks. I almost forgot. <laughs> I'm, glad you did. I'm glad you did. I'm glad you called in. We're always a pleasure to have you. Thanks. Thank You're you. welcome. Have a great weekend. That's one of our regulars, Lou, joining the show on the Alan and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show. Always a pleasure. And I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Aaron, on your point. I don't know if you still remembered you were talking about baseball. Oh, yes. So the emotion in baseball, what do you think about that, you know? Well, and, and here's the thing. The retaliation, that's part of the emotion. You know, mm-hmm. a guy, old school, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of old school baseball. So I'll go back and if a guy flips his bat and it's kind of done behind the scenes where it's not a show up moment, I have no problem with that at all. It's when it's, you you do it and you're you're almost showing up the pitcher. If you show up the pitcher, here, here's what I've always said: I'll be sitting on the couch watching the game. Doesn't matter if it's my team or if I'm just watching the game of the week. If a hitter hits a bomb, it's a home run, and he stands there and admires it. I fully expect the pitcher, whether it's the same same pitcher or another pitcher later on in the game, to stick one right in his ear the next time around. Come up and in, hit him in the back, hit him in the leg. That's just the way the game has always been played. You, you, you don't do that. Those are some of the unwritten rules, if you will. So that that's part of the emotion too. That, that's the the that's the uh, emotional response, if you will. And I think that's good for the game. I, I think it makes the game interesting. Um, 
sometimes drama is a good thing. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that in, in this case. So, you know, you look at some of the recent uh, bench clearing brawls. My favorite one from about two or three years ago stems back from, I believe, the 27 postseason – or sorry, sorry, 2017, rather, postseason when Toronto and uh, Texas were playing each other. And I forget who the other players were, but the, the main person in this was Jose Bautista. Jose Bautista is, is probably one of the most known players to launch a home run, stand there, stare at it, toss his bat, do all these different, you know, celebrating things, which there's nothing wrong with until you cross the line where it, you know, it's showing up the other player. So you fast forward to, I believe it was 2018 and anybody who wants to YouTube this, it's a great moment because I'm not a big fan of Jose Bautista. I kind of think he's a showboat a little bit. A little bit of a hot dog. Yeah. Uh, Odor, the second baseman, I believe it was, for the Rangers. There was a play where I believe the shortstop was thrown to second. Odor and uh, Batista collide. And they kind of have some words for each other. And Odor knocks him just right straight in the jaw. And it was just, it was a great moment because that's part of the game. And, and brawls are sometimes part of the game. And sometimes, and this is just to be honest with how the game is played, sometimes those are the things that turn a team around. A lot of times a team that's struggling mends better and and meshes well together after a brawl like that happens because everybody's got each other's back. And sometimes it turns a team around, turns a cold team hot, gets the team playing the way it's supposed to again. So that's the other side of the emotion part of it. You know, I, I get where a guy hits a home run, pitcher shouldn't be all, you know, angry about it at the batter. He should be angry at himself for giving up the home run. I get that. But, again, the showboating moments, that's where I'm fully expecting. And anybody who watches the game to any great length should expect a ball up and in the next time that guy comes up to the plate or at least somebody else on that team is going to get something. So that's just my perspective. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's just a bit too much with baseball. Like, you got to let some of that stuff go. Like, okay, got to flip a bat or whatever. You just got to shrug it off, I think, and just get the guy out next time. I just think it's too touchy with baseball. Too many unwritten rules. Show some more emotion, raw emotion, where it's not – I'm not talking about – you know, there's overkill. There's always overkill. You know, you have in any sport – there's overkill with the celebrations. But I just think where you could see a guy is really excited that he just hit a home run, pumps his fist or what have you, you got to let some of that stuff go. I just think, I think that's good for baseball. You know, sometimes showing emotion is a good thing. Yes, you get paid a lot of money, but it shows you like a kid when you hit, when you hit a home run, because we had Daryl Strawberry on here and he even said that, he might really want to hit a home run, but it doesn't always work out that way. You know, guys yeah. paid, guys getting paid just like you're getting paid millions to hit a home run. You're facing a guy who's getting paid millions to strike you out. So exactly, yep. It's a great thing, and you know, I hope baseball gets stuff together. And I love baseball, and I did want to mention a couple things about 
golf. We have the, the PGA Bass Valspar tournament right here, right here, not too far from us, too. I know a couple of people, mutual friends that we have, are definitely have attended it. But, you know, you just wanted to let you know there is almost a, a $7 million. So that you can win $6,900,000 to the guy who wins. Even in this COVID-19, that's pretty impressive, man. <laughs> if I win in one tournament, but <laughs> Keegan Bradley's at the top and also Sam Burns is, is tied with him. So you got plenty of, of golf still to go. And yeah, you got Zach Johnson is, is in the in the mix, so a lot to be seen, but I just wanted to update our listening audience on on the standings on that. And I did want to talk a couple things about boxing. The, 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 you got a fight tomorrow. I know a lot of people want to get my prediction on that. Ruiz against Ariola. I got Ruiz winning that fight. I think um, he's in good shape. He's working with Canelo. He learned, he, he's learning and he's working hard from that loss that he had against Deontay Wilder, where, I'm sorry, yeah, he, he uh, where he's learning from the loss that he had against Anthony Joshua, I'm sorry. And I think uh, Reed's going to win this fight. So predict him to win it tomorrow. And also, I did want to give my input on the Mayweather versus Logan Paul fight that's coming up in early June, June 6th. A few people, that was a big topic this week about whether it's bad for boxing and things of that nature. And it's a joke. It's a circus, a sideshow. And I wanted to give my opinion on that. I see both sides. I definitely, from Mayweather's point of view, I, I really don't know why he would take this fight. Yes, it is an exhibition. Yes, you're getting paid to to fight. So I, I get that. But it, it is a knock on his legacy, I think, because you're fighting a brother who's not even the more popular and the better brother. You're fighting a guy who's lost one fight, and that's his record, 0-1. And, and I, I just don't see... I just don't see Logan Paul being very competitive in this fight. I, I just think that Mayweather is just going to show his skill, do what he does, and it's going to be very tough for Logan Paul to get a shot in. And I just think – I think this fight's going to be hard for it to – too. I think people who are good boxing fans really have no interest, and I don't think MMA fans have an interest in this fight either. So I think it's going to be a tough sell for Floyd, but I wish him luck on that one. I got Mayweather winning that fight pretty easily. And much of this may of people who want to see Mayweather lose, he won't even be counted as a loss, too, it, since it is an exhibition. So I, I just think um, – I, I don't think it's a stain on boxing because real boxing fans, they won't lose viewership because of it. But I, I, I think somebody who really is curious would watch it. But I don't think um, – I'm curious on Mayweather why he would, number one, come out of retirement to fight Logan Paul, and I would love to ask him why Logan Paul of all fighters. So maybe I'll get a chance to interview him for you guys on the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk radio show. But I don't think it's a circus. I just think it's entertainment at the end of the day. If somebody's willing to buy the fight, that's on them. I won't knock them for it. 
But uh, I got Mayweather winning that fight. And that's my thoughts on boxing for this week. I did want to also say to Xander Zayas, congratulations on your win. And thank you for retweeting my tweet. He, uh, Xander was one of the boxers that was on the press conference that I got a chance to ask some questions. I congratulated all the winners the day after the fight. And he saw the tweet. And I didn't even tag him in the tweet, but he did see it. And he liked it. And he retweeted it. So congratulations, Xander. And thank you for retweeting my tweets. We definitely appreciate it here on the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show. Definitely well uh, appreciate it. And um, we uh, we got some great guests that we're working on getting on the show. We, we don't want to kind of spill the beans on that yet, but we're going to keep working hard to get some guests on here like we've had earlier this, this month. For all you guys, we're working hard. Is there any thoughts that you had also, Aaron? No, I just think that uh, obviously we'll next week when we're back we'll have uh, more of a recap of the overall uh, grades on each team for the draft um, going into the second month of Major League Baseball season. Probably see some big things happening there too. Uh, kind of getting an idea on what direction teams are going in, teams that are going up, teams that are going down, teams that are kind of surprising here early in the year, and then we get the uh, NHL and NBA playoffs just around the corner. So stay tuned. There's going to be a lot of good stuff to talk about here over these next uh, several weeks. Absolutely. Stay tuned to the Allen Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show. We really appreciate you guys listening. We appreciate the fans. We appreciate the support. Appreciate Lou. <laughs> All Everybody that's connected to the Allen Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show. Top ranked boxing. And we, we definitely look forward to hearing you guys from you next Friday. 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time Zone. Aaron will be here. I'll be here. And we're looking forward to giving you guys a great show like always. Yeah, we'll be here definitely uh, definitely again for everyone. And, again, if you didn't get to hear the entirety of our show tonight, you joined us late, uh, you can, of course, pick us up here again uh, or any episode, for that matter, on, uh, on iHeartRadio and I believe on iTunes as well. And, of course, we usually post our links to our shows on our uh, Facebook page. So uh, thank you everyone for joining in tonight. Uh, again, for Alan, this is Aaron signing off here this evening. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Evan Aaron Sports Talk podcast. Subscribe and check us out on your favorite social media platform. Thank you.